So we're in Exodus 11 and 12. Exodus 11 is the great and final warning that Moses and Aaron bring to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the leader of this great nation of Egypt, so blind and so full of pride. A reminder to us all that pride kills. And yet in the midst of the story, this final sign, we see the great kindness and mercy of God, not only on offer to the Egyptians, but to all Israel, echoing the words we just sang. And I think I may have had a little dust in my eye. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. You're not too far. But what a detriment pride is to grace. Because for grace, all you need is need. You take nothing more to it. You can get nothing more from it. All you need is need. And and so the pride of Pharaoh is meant to be a a picture to us, a, a window into our own souls, an opportunity mercifully to, to turn, right? Repent, turn. That's what repent means. From the things that do not satisfy and do not heal and do not bless to a God who actually, and we struggle to believe it, is standing there with open arms, who's not grimacing at you and sh- you know, wagging his finger in shame. You were almost enough. Ah, but I guess I'll let you in. But whose arms are wide open, crucified wide open, to invite you in. The Passover lamb. So I was, as most preachers do, searching for an illustration on pride. You know, a big one, a big exaggerated one, a real, a, a real hyperbolic illustration about someone who'd be like Pharaoh in our own day and age, whose relentless pride would result in maybe even putting their own people on the altar. You know what came to mind? Dictators. Uh, We prayed about that a few minutes ago, and now the video's back on, so you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean when there's just like a tiny little group of people in power that are living like kings, and everybody else is essentially being sacrificed so that they can remain in power and control. And I thought, yeah, that'll that'll be good. That one will preach. That's a big one. And I felt that way just up until I read this paragraph in this little book, which I was supposed to carry up with me. (laughs) But since this isn't a TED Talk or a movie theater and we're a family, it's okay for me to walk off stage. Sorry, Janie. Henry Nouwen. Oh, man, I love this guy. A great book. It's called In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. And it sounds like it's for leaders or ministers, but it's for all of us. Because we're all called to lead and follow Jesus in this way. And I thought, yeah, I can, I can do the abstract illustration about the, the big, bad, prideful guys. And the Lord was like, no. No, it's personal. It's personal for me and for you. So listen to this quote. Somehow we have come to believe in the modern church that good Leadership actually requires us keeping a safe distance from those we are called to lead. Don't let them see you be weak. 
Often in medicine or psychiatry and social work, we are offered models of service which take place in a one-way direction. Someone serves, someone is the expert, someone else is being served. And be sure not to mix up the roles. But how can we as a church family lay down our lives for those with whom we are not even allowed to enter into a deep personal relationship? Laying down your life for one another means making your own faith and doubt and hope and despair, joy and sadness, pride and courage and fear available to others. Available to others as ways of getting in touch with the Lord of life. We are not the healers. We are not the reconcilers. We are not the givers of life. We are sheep. Sinful, broken, vulnerable people who need as much care as anyone we care for. So the mystery of ministry in the church is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love in our weakness the gateway for the unconditional and unlimited powerful love of God. Or to quote Paul, quoting Jesus, I will make my power perfect in weakness. So as I was studying Pharaoh this last week, I realized, wow, I'm here too. (laughs) I hate to tell you, but your pastor does struggle with some pride. I know you didn't know that, you know, because I wear a sport coat for you, but I do. And in fact, recently, I've had a few things in my, my life that have brought this to attention, that have been both a huge blessing and a challenge to my soul. Uh, Recently, I had two brothers, two brothers who I know love me, that are friends, who are co-laborers in the gospel, speak the truth in love to me. Indeed, confront me, me, about patterns of sin and pride in my life. And needless to say, I took it all in stride, no problem, no defensiveness, no self-justification. I was great. No. No. Just like you, I'm prone to, law, to run to the law, to the rules on the one hand, or to run to my own grandeur and self-justification and defensiveness on the other. At the pastor's retreat I was at six weeks ago, we did an exercise which helps you kind of identify what are some of the idols in your own heart that are you know, shaping to you. They shape the way you interact or withdraw or you know, kind of the sin in the way that you have relationships. And for me... Some of these revolve around pride. I want to be in control. I want to be the center. And I want to win. Like, I want those things oftentimes more than I want to care about other people or be in healthy long-term relationships, much less be vulnerable and exposed. So this is one of those Nathan moments where all of a sudden I'm studying pride and the Lord, with gentleness, speaks, uh, you are the man actually. It's in you too. It's too easy to just make it pharaoh and big and abstract and out there. And so this text, you guys, is an invitation for us by God's kindness and mercy, the skilled surgeon that he is in Jesus to just go, man, where is it? Where do I love myself more than I love others? What am I willing to put up on the altar at the expense of others? Where is their power and control and pride that eventually will lead to my destruction? 
When these brothers shared this with me, I confess, there was an ouch moment. Ow. Right? We all love that. Y'all love people that know you and are really close to you to come to you and say, I love you enough to tell you something I think you need to hear. No. Our our knee-jerk reaction is to say, thanks a lot, and let me get out my list for you, too. (laughs) And thanks for mentioning that one thing. You bring one, I'll bring 40. We're good. No. It was so good. This is the normal Christian life. Confession and repentance. Receiving God's grace anew. Believing that he loves you. Repeat. It was so good because to be in the light, to come out of the darkness of pride and into the light of God's grace means that that we are free to receive what God has for us. Not just what we want other people to see. Not all the ways that we protect ourselves. But what God has. His covering, his love, his death for our death, his life for our life, a substitution of what we deserve for his glory and his grace, his salvation, the assurance that no matter what is happening in your life, and I know it's a big, big enough church, some of you are really excited to be here this morning. A few of you barely got here. There's a few others that now that the sermon's going, you're angry you came. I understand. If I didn't work at a church, I'd feel the same way. But whatever's going on in your life, to be brought into the light and exposed isn't to be abandoned, but to be covered by God. So that wherever there's death and there's whispers of accusation and failure and frustration and brokenness and trauma, death must pass you over. For you are hidden with Christ in God. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be honest. It's hard to unfurl and be open and vulnerable. It's scary. It is really scary. And so we use all these big gospel words, you know, power made perfect in weakness. The last will be first. You know, that the king didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We, we talk about these things, but actually doing them as sons and daughters of Adam really hard and really scary. But here's what's scarier. And you saw it in our text. I thought they only said sheep. It says sheep and goats. Why did they say only sheep? And then he said you should take a sheep or a goat. Well, because when they're that little, and that apparently I know nothing about farming, as you can obviously tell. Uh, So, but when they're that little, and in that part of the world at that time, it was actually pretty hard to tell the difference. So now you see what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 24 when he says, I'm separating the sheep and the goats. It wasn't so obvious. They they were all in the religious community. And what's scarier than, than Jesus, help me not to hide so you can heal me. What's scarier than that is many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I went to church. I did things. I gave money, I served soup. And Jesus, who at that time is not speaking to the weak and the broken, but the prideful, self-righteous religious leaders, says that he will sit upon his throne and say, I never knew you. Whoa. (laughs) I never knew you because you never knew me. You didn't want to know me. You didn't want to be in relationship. You wanted your own glory. You wanted to be the center. And that's the nature of what we call sin, self-love. 
and it will destroy us. You know that. You've seen it. And so our text is an invitation. Lord, open our eyes. Help us not to be like Pharaoh, blind and obstinate and stiff-necked and prideful. And that's how we come to this now 10th and final sign or wonder. As John said, you know, signs and wonders, the first nine. But this one in verse, 11, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 is referred to as a plague. And the word plague there is not the same word that's been used previously in Exodus. It's a new Hebrew word. It's unique. And it means this, the final blow. The final blow, like a boxer who's been fighting eight rounds and finally gets that good uppercut in, right on the chin, the final blow. God has been very patient. As we heard last week, these signs and wonders were given to Egypt to, to call them to repentance, to draw them to God. God's been very patient. And Pharaoh's heart has gotten harder still. Man, is it difficult for people who love their life and love their money and love themselves to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is like getting a camel through the eye of a needle to get a guy like Pharaoh who has so much to lose to die that he might gain everything. So we see in our text, firstly, that God will not be mocked. But, but, we also see that he will not abandon his people. And that's what this is. It's a prophetic text. Judgment and restoration. Warning and invitation. A warning that exposes us in our pride and an invitation that reveals God and all he's done to save his people. Yes, God is just. He must deal with Pharaoh's sin. It's grievous. But he will not abandon his people. And all you need is faith. All you need is faith as small as a mustard seed. Because it was never about you being enough. It's always just been about Jesus who's already enough for you. So judgment is coming. It's coming for a wicked leader full of pride. Pharaoh's faithless pride costs him dearly him and his family and his country. This is bad leadership on steroids. But help is offered too. Help is offered a way out, a way of escape, a lamb, a lamb slain, a way of salvation. Full covering, not partial. You know, not, well, I know you repented a couple months ago. You're not doing very good now, so I take half the covering back. Thank you very much. That's what we think about God. Don't lie. That's exactly how we think God treats us. Yes, I believed. I prayed the prayer. I'm saved. But I'm, it's, I'm never quite sure if he's really happy with me. No, full covering. And so I would just ask us this morning, what are you covered in? We cover ourselves with a lot of things, right? Money, success, friends, our work, our accomplishments, education. Those are but fig leaves. So in our text, we do see the brutality of sin, but also the grace, the grace that exposes us, reveals God, and saves us from death. And I just want to, from there, kind of make two application points about our text. The first is this. Our pride is exposed. 
Pharaoh is both a window and a mirror into the sad and foolish and destructive ways of self-love. A window that we can look into and go, wow, that guy's really bad. Made dumb decisions that cost him a lot. But a mirror that you should put a little closer to your face so that we don't forget the words of Nathan, that we too are the man. You see, Pharaoh's pride, it's not logical. It's not rational. It's not an issue of evidence. We have people in this church who have studied philosophy and apologetics, defending the faith. You you want an extensive bibliography of good reasons to believe in Christian theism? I will provide them for you. And And they're unbelievably weighty and good. But just like in Jesus' day, the problem is not evidence. I mean, you get online and you hear people say, well, you know what, I I believe in God if you came down right in front of me. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because in Jesus' day, he, he did all these things. He was right there. People saw miraculous healings. They saw people rise from the dead. There were eyewitnesses. It's documented. They didn't believe. Evidence is not the problem when our pride is exposed. It's a heart problem. It's a spiritual problem. Spiritual blindness. This is like the kid that you say, all right, now time to do your chores. And they close their eyes and go, blah, 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 blah. Nobody's there. It's just me. No, we're still here and you're still going to clean up your room. That's Pharaoh before the Lord. The core of his sin and ours is claiming to be God. Here's what pride means. I create a life in my own power. Thank you very much. You know, Pharaoh claimed to be God. I mean, the Nile was a God. The frogs were gods. All these little plagues and signs and wonders are meant to humble and undermine the Egyptian gods, but Pharaoh was the God of gods. Have you heard it said, I am the morning and the evening star? Let me translate that for you from hieroglyphics into Santa Fe English, bro. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. I create a life in my power. This is the sin of our first father, Adam. It's the sin that we all inherit, which is why we must pray Psalm 139. Lord, search me and know me. Help me to root out that stuff. Because I can dress up, I can hide, I can even be nice. By the way, niceness in our day and age, I mean, in the Roman culture, it was like glory and sorts. Now it's, you know, reading leadership books and being nice. It's one of the main ways in our day and age that people use to self-protect and further their own pride. By using others without any way to being told they're wrong because they're nice. Again, as Christians, most of y'all don't need to repent from smoke and chew and go with girls who do. A few of you do, and that's fine. Most of us need to repent of our self-righteousness and our religious righteousness and how tempted we are to go to the law when someone does something we don't like and to judge the people that we walk past who have it worse off than us. We're right here. And like Pharaoh, we so often are willing to put things up on the altar in a completely unworthy substitution. I mean, the scales are not equal here. To protect himself, he puts the firstborn sons up on the altar. God is not the author of evil. This is Pharaoh's choice. He's been given every opportunity to relent and repent, and he won't. Because the self-worship of pride kills. And that's why we read in chapter 11 that Moses is hot with anger. 
because this is so unjust, Pharaoh. I mean, could you imagine if, if what had happened in Nineveh happened in Egypt? If Pharaoh had just said, okay, I've seen it, and you're right, Moses, Aaron. We're still going to be Egyptian. We're still going to have pyramids. I'm still going to shave my head. We're still going to have a lot of cats and gold. But I'm going to put my hope and trust in the Lord. Can you imagine what would have happened? But the consequences of Pharaoh's pride is that he sacrifices temporary feelings of control and power for all that he holds dear. Which is why Proverbs says, pride comes before destruction. One hard heart leads to many that stop beating. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember that the sin that we entertain and hide from and won't bring into the light because it's too scary or whatever our reasons are and I've got a hundred of them, it will always take you farther than you want to go. You cannot manage your sin. You're not, you can't outwit it or outrun it. The only hope we have is for God to bring us into the light and then put something in our place and cover us and feed us and help. And that's where we see that our God is revealed. Our pride is exposed. Our God is revealed in this text. First of all, God is just. And so this is good news. He will deal with evil. He cannot wince at sin. I don't know. Did you guys know there's injustice in the world? Have you heard of the news? Have you watched the news? I mean, this world is full of brokenness and broken people doing broken things. I remember hearing, you know, growing up, man's inhumanity to man. You're like, for goodness sake, can we get this right? We got a lot of money, a lot of education. Farmers in the Midwest can feed the world if we would just have a normal portion and not, you know, Tomasitas level. Please, people. But no, God can't wince at sin. Justice is coming. Look, unrestrained by all of our niceties and what is appropriate for high society in Santa Fe, unrestrained, we're no different than Pharaoh. Thank God he is not like us. And so we see in the Passover something utterly unique about the justice of God in this sign, and you may have missed it. All the other signs and wonders, all nine, were directed at the Egyptians, with Israel kind of looking on. But this one is unique. Israel, too, is involved in this sign. Israel, too, faces God's justice through death if they're not covered in the blood of the Lamb. And so what God is showing his children, Israel, and us is that there's bigger significance here. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God isn't just bringing his justice against the Egyptians, against Israel too. Yes, Israel, the chosen people, the one with the promises, the covenant children. What that means is that for you and me, there's no escape from Revelation chapter 20. In the end, our lives will be opened and our works will be laid bare before God. Our lives and our works. And that doesn't just mean how people thought you were at church. That means the thoughts that go on in your head when you're driving on Cerritos. Uh, that means your entire browser history. Yes. That's the right reaction. 
Yeah. So let me just tell you right now, you're saved by works. You are saved by works. Revelation 20 makes that clear. Our works will be laid bare. You will be saved by works. Here's the only question we need to ask. Will you one day stand in the value and the merit and the righteousness of your own works or in the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? That's the only question. The angel of death comes for all. Some of you are at an age, and I couldn't even guess, because you are young and spry and healthier than me, but nobody escapes death. Nobody escapes the angel of death. But spiritually speaking, the only way out is that when the angel of death comes by and sees the blood of the lamb, sees the blood of Jesus, the angel says, all right, death has already been here. Death has already been here. I'll keep going. The lamb was slain in your place. The lamb is the substitute. So then rather than the work of pride, the unworthy substitution of your glory for the sake of those you love, God, what does he do? We're told in Philippians. He doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus comes down. He gives up his glory. He is the lamb that is slain. Behold These are the works of God, a rescue plan. In our passage, we see the true love of God. We see true love. Love is not, love is not, I'm going to protect myself, and I'm going to take what I need, and I'm going to use you. The nature of the world's love is your life for mine. So you tell people when they're getting married, you know, is it 50-50? Yeah, right. Because if you start keeping lists 13 days into being married, you're like, well, we said 50-50, but I'm doing, you know, 57 and you're only doing 43. What's going on? Oh, but let's be spiritual about it. It's 100-0. I'll give 100%, you know, even if he or she gives nothing. That's the way. Not on condition. So man's love says your life for mine, but God's love, which we see in the Passover, says my life for yours. God is just and he is merciful. He will not be mocked, but he will not abandon. So he provides a substitute, the lamb, to atone for our sins, to stand in our place, to cleanse us with his blood, and to feed us. So you often miss this in the text. It's not just the atonement of sin and forgiveness through substitution. Because if that were the case, you could be forgiven and still be a slave. You could be forgiven, but then you'd still have to spend your life beating yourself up about your bad days. You'd still spend your life not believing the gospel and thinking that you're actually more justified on your good days than on your bad days. Are we that prideful and that selfish and that foolish to think that when we're doing good, we're more justified than when we're not? That makes a mockery of the cross. The cross says you couldn't do boo on your best or your worst day. And if your faith is in me, in Jesus, in the lamb, best day or worst of day, you are covered. You are clean. You are justified and you are fed. You see, the nature of the Passover, the center of the Passover is not just a ritual. It's to remind God's people to come back into a relationship. To come back into a relationship with the father, not as a slave, but as a son 
The message of the Passover is that you're not just spared from the angel of death, you're fed by God himself. He's the head of household. He's the king. He's the one who provides the lamb. You're not just spared, but you're sunned or daughtered. What would it look like for us to leave this place and live that way? Buckle up, Santa Fe. You want to talk about getting ready and making haste and putting on your belt and your shoes and getting ready? What would it look like for us to leave this place really believing that we're not just spared from the wages of sin by a God who, if you could imagine his face right now, is kind of smiling, sort of grimacing, maybe kind of loves you a little bit, not quite sure. Let's see how your day turns out. Not just spared, but sunned, daughtered, full covering, full inheritance. That is the glory of the Lamb of God who came to lay down his life for the sins of the world. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are our glorious sacrificial lamb. Lord, we know, we know that justice requires payment, that people can't just do bad stuff and there's no payment. So even though we're honest, Lord, that it, the animal sacrifice thing weirds us out, we get it. We get that you can't just be unjust and do horrible things and there's no payment. That's not a just world. We know this world isn't just a bunch of animals banging around the ether and energy and matter. No, Lord, you are just and there will be a final justice. So I, I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you have met me in that, that you have been kind to me uh, to expose my pride. I confess, Lord, that it's scary. I want to I be in control. I want to be perceived rightly. I want to be enough. I want to be powerful. I want to win. And pursuing those things in my life, in the life of this church, I know, Lord, it, it would only lead to just destruction. So as we come being exposed, but we're scared, exposed, but we're weak, exposed, but we're needy, Lord, would you reveal the fullness of what you've done to bring us to yourself? Would you be for us not only the forgiveness of sins at the cross, but the resurrection of life, the inheritance of Jesus, the covering of the royal robe of the Father? And would you make that so deeply true to us as we partake of those promises in real time in a tangible way at this table now. In Jesus' name, amen.